tonight at Ground Zero meetings, we're going to continue down our ABC um, teachings. And tonight is the letter I, which is identity. Identity is such a, a powerful, powerful thing because most of us have grown up and our identity has been in abandonment, rejection, abuse. You know, we grew up poor. We grew up less than. You know, there's words that people have spoken into our life at, at very young ages that have really gripped us. You know, that you're worthless, you're no good, I didn't want you. You know, and we begin to, to grow up in our life. You know, in the back of our head, we have these these voices that have a very powerful ability to control us. You know, and then life happens. You know, and people leave us. You know, and that impacts us. There's a wound that takes place. You know, so our identity is always hooked to these very negative, you know, memories. You know, and as we go through school, some of us going through, you know, elementary and high school was a very difficult time. I know I had a difficult time. I, I grew up very poor. You know, I didn't have the, the nicest clothes. I didn't have the, the bestest friends. You know, and, you know, I, I got picked on a lot. You know, and I found that, you know, if I played sports, you know, so that became my identity, you know, that, you know, I, I found some relief, you know, and I could be, you know, a different person when I was on the field or on the court than I would be in the, in the classroom, you know, and I found that I could get some respect, but still felt less than insecure, you know, my identity was in my brokenness. You know, I, I had a hard time growing up, you know, and that really, that gripped me. You know, when I was six years old, I was sexually molested. So I had this identity of being this, you know, broken kid. You know, I was very angry. So my identity was in, you know, this very broken, angry kid. So by the time I was really 10 years old, I was a mess. You know, and I didn't know how to make friends. I wasn't good at, at making friends. I was an only child. You know, I was very chaotic. You know, and I didn't know how to live life. And growing up in broken homes and growing up in an alcoholic home, you know, things were very crazy. A lot of yelling and screaming, you know, and, and being called, you know, names, you know, that really was close to my heart, you know, and I didn't ever feel like I was good enough, you know, I was worthless, you know, so in my teenage years when I, I stepped out and became a pothead, you know, I was instantly adopted into a community of people and I felt accepted for the first time, you know, and they didn't judge me, you know, and they would share their stuff with me and I would share their, my stuff with them and, and we became close. And many of us have had closer friends that we partied with than we ever have had in our families. You know, and <clears throat> so then, you know, 
later on in life, you know, we have people that tell us that our friends are no good. And we're like, my friends are the closest thing that I've ever known to have in family. You know, they love me unconditionally. You know, and some of us have had good families, you know, that, that sin is no, has no bias. You know, some of us have had good parents. Some of us had no parents, you know, and, you know, sin grips us in many different ways. And, and we don't realize how much it has control o- over us, you know, <clears throat> even growing up in the church, you know, I never really signed on to it. You know, I never really believed in it. It was just kind of going through the motions so that the age that I could get away with not going and, and not getting too much trouble, I wasn't going anymore. You know, and in my early 20s, you know, through the pain of life, you know, and everything that had happened, you know, and I started partying pretty hard, you know, my identity became I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. You know, how can all these bad things happen to me and there be this loving God that people talk about? You know, I don't want to be religious. You know, so I ran really far away from God because, you know, nothing ever good came from it. And then, you know, I became a drug addict. You know, I was using drugs, you know, heavier drugs and and drinking every day. You know, then I became going in and out of jail. So my identity became this person that couldn't hold a job and, you know, and didn't know how to live life. You know. So then you get into to rehab or recovery. So my identity is in that I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. You know, and you're supposed to go to those fun meetings. You know, and you identify with the people around you. I remember sitting in my first rehab, not believing that I was an alcoholic or an addict, but you had to say you were an alcoholic or an addict because everybody would harp on you. Like, oh, you know, you're an alcoholic or an addict. You're here. You know, you didn't get here by chance. You know, and later on in life, I absolutely believed it, but I remember saying it long before I believed it because I didn't, you know, I was so insecure. I didn't want people to, you know, you know, I wanted to fit in, you know, as crazy as that sounds, you know, and in and out of recovery. So my identity became somebody that that couldn't stay sober. I was a chronic relapser. You know, I, I couldn't figure this out. You know, so the worthlessness and the hopelessness just began to grow and grow and grow. You know, and, you know, I couldn't, you know, hold down a relationship. So, you know, my identity would be in the the brokenness of of these events, you know, and, you know, I was suicidal and I went to the, you know, you know, the psych ward once. So now I'm I'm a crazy person, you know. Still, I'm a crazy person, but that's a different story. <clears throat> different type of crazy. You know, and all through my life, all through our lives, there's these things that, that grab a hold of us that our identity is in. You know, I, I remember, you know, after really my first relationship and it, and it didn't work out real well, I became extremely promiscuous. You know, I didn't ever want to get close to anyone ever again. So I was a male whore, you know, and I took pride in it, you know, and, you know, I, you know, and so there's these things that, that constantly have gripped me, you know, and the Bible talks about that they're the chains, they're bondage, you know, but our identity is in these things, you know, and, and eventually we get to a place where certain 
bondages aren't working out for our benefit anymore. There's more pain than there is pleasure. You know, since, you know, it keeps us longer than we want to stay, you know, and we don't know how to get away from it. You know, and so often we try to get sober or we try to get free or we try to behave ourselves in one way or another. And we're able to self-will it because most of us are pretty stubborn. You know, and we're able to get free for a minute. But any of us in here that's ever tried a diet, it typically doesn't work very well for very long. You know, and some of us have tried to get sober and we can stay sober for an extended period of time. We're like, look, I'm, everything's going right. And, you know, maybe I can have one. And once we open the door, the floodgates come crashing back in. You know, so often our identity is in our pain. Most of our relationships that we've had have been started with, you know, I've been through this painful event. Oh, yeah, guess what? I've been through this painful event. Oh, yeah, guess what? I have sucky parents. Oh, yeah, guess what? I have sucky parents. Oh, let's fall in love. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? You know, most of our relationships that have started start sexually. You know, I've had one girlfriend in my entire life that I did not have sex with the first time I met her. You know, that sex became the way to relate with people. You know, so then therefore, you know, you're instantly at the deep end of the pool and you don't even know who you're hanging out with. You know, many a times that we get into these types of relationships and within hours, days, weeks, we're like, I don't even like this person. But I'm having sex, so I might as well hang out for a little while. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you get, into these dysfunctional relationships and it gets really crazy. And you're like, how did I get here again? Well, it started off on the wrong foot to begin with. You know, and we don't know how to have relationships. So then, you know, that gets crazy. That gets chaotic. That person breaks up with us or we break up with them. And then we're instantly jumping into the next relationship before we've ever healed from the 17 other ones that we've been through. And we're wondering why the new one doesn't work out. But we're carrying all the baggages from all these different relationships in the new one. So now we have an identity of broken relationships. And I can't have relationships, so I really am broken goods. But I've never attempted to have a relationship based on relationship for what it's really meant to be. You know, it's always started sexually. You know, and in and out of recovery, I would go, you know, looking for peace, looking for love, looking for any sort of, you know, self-worth in, in all the wrong places. You know, and... After getting some sobriety time, you know, and relapsing once again and finding myself in a very broken place because, you know, I'm going through the, the heartache of a breakup and I'm going through the condemnation of another relapse, you know, and eventually I get to this place where it's like I don't have anywhere else to turn, you know, and some people from, you know, AA come and get me. And saying, you know, sobriety is better. And I'm like, yeah, it's better than this. It can't hurt me. You know, here we go again. You know, off the detox I go. You know, how get after detox, where do you go? You go back to those fun AA meetings. You know, and God's so funny is that this girl was end up 
being at that, that my very first meeting after my last relapse, and she invited me to church to their recovery meetings. You know, and I stepped in to celebrate recovery for the first time, and I heard the message of Jesus. Even though I, I grew up in church, I never really heard about Jesus. And I heard that he loved me more than I could ever know, and that he wanted to forgive me, no matter what I've ever been, whatever I've ever done. And that he wanted to heal me from the inside out. He wanted to heal my heart. He wanted to heal my brokenness. And that all of my life, I've been trying to play God. And I have failed miserably at it. And that I needed to surrender my life to Jesus. And I sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried. And, and I didn't accept Jesus that day because I was afraid that I would be religious. And I did not want to be one of those religious people. So once again, I, I stayed in my identity of pain but yet still seeking some sort of healing. You know, and a few weeks went by going to celebrate recovery, and the day came that I went to church, and many have heard this, you know. And I accepted the Lord that day, and it's not because I wanted to go to heaven or I was afraid to go to hell. I needed the pain to stop. I've tried everything that I could ever imagine to make the pain go away, and nothing ever worked. And that day that I accepted Jesus without really realizing what I was doing is that I was transferring my identity out of a very broken man into the hands of a loving Savior. And not knowing what that meant. But his love for me began to change me. As it's changed many of you in here. And it is continuing to change all of us on one level or another. You know, and I began to go to church, and the words that I would hear would just overwhelm me of his love, and that he wanted to change my life. But yet, still trying to be in control, I couldn't completely surrender to Jesus because I wanted to do it my way. But there was this thought in my head that I knew no matter how hard I tried to do it my way, it always ended up in a very painful place. But I had no idea how to surrender myself to God because I was such a control freak because of everything I've ever been through. I didn't know how to let go of control because of all the pain that I've been through. So I gripped control so desperately because I'm trying to figure out life and yet all I do is wield more pain back at myself. And I keep everybody at arm's length and wonder why I'm alone all the time. Because all I'm ever doing is trying to protect the broken little kid that's on the inside of me. And what I end up really doing is harming myself more and more and more, trying to do it my way. And if we really think about it, there is not one person on this planet that's hurt us more than ourselves. 
and we can blame mom and we can blame dad and we can blame this one and we can blame that one and we can blame our first love and we can blame the girl that cheated on us. We can blame the, the guy that left us. We can blame and we can blame and we can blame. But the truth of the matter is, is when we look ourselves in the mirror, there's not one person on this planet that's hurt us more than we've hurt ourselves. And that's how we get to Jesus is really coming to this place and saying, I don't know how to live my life. And beginning the process of saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of all the times I've hurt myself. And lo and behold, we begin to realize that as we turn over these sins, that our identity is no longer in the sin. Our identity is in Jesus. And there's this transformation that begins to take place because God's love comes down and adopts us into his kingdom. And at first, we have no idea what this really means. You know, the spirit of adoption, that we are in one family, whether it's the family of our biological parents or the family of, you know, the, the sinners that we run with, and then we get adopted into God's family. And Jesus is our brother. And we have a Father in heaven that loves us more than we could ever know. And at first we don't really realize what's really taking place. As his, his presence begins to, to move around us and, and his voice begins to speak to us. And we don't even hear it and we don't even feel it. But the fact that we're even interested in Jesus shows that Jesus is moving in our life. Because when we are in sin and when we are away from God, we don't want anything to do with Jesus. But lo and behold, all of a sudden, we begin to gravitate to godly things, to godly people. And we would not want anything to do with that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit taking us by the hand and saying, come here. Let's go this way. And we push away and we try to run away and it's uncomfortable. And we go find some sin to hang out in and this is uncomfortable and I can't get comfortable anywhere. I'm not comfortable in the kingdom of God and I'm not comfortable in the kingdom of sin and darkness. And it's like, what's going on? There's this war now going on inside me because I can't find pleasure in the things that I used to find pleasure in. And I don't quite understand this love stuff, and that makes me extremely uncomfortable because I don't feel lovable. Because my identity is still in the worthlessness of everything that's ever happened to me. And there's this identity transfer that's taking place from the inside out. And so often we try to work for it, and we still can't get it. Because... It's still on our terms. Jesus, I'll do this my way, but for you, sort of. As long as you agree with me, I'm cool with you, Jesus. As long as I get what I want, I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, sounds good. Let's do that. And his love just continues to, to draw us closer and closer and closer to him. And without realizing it, healing is starting to take place on the inside. But the problem that begins to occur is that we are hanging on to giant 
parts of our identity that's still rooted in things that have happened to us and things that we've done. And we come to Jesus and we're like, yeah, I understand that you could forgive me, but I won't let you. Because you just don't quite understand how much of a sinner I really am. He's like, oh, really? No. That's funny. I'm pretty sure I understand the same thing pretty well. You know, and what we end up doing without realizing it is that we're punishing ourselves before we get free. One more time, just for good old time's sake. And what we don't realize is the punishment that he took upon himself was the payment for our sins. And all we truly need to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. And instantaneously we're forgiven. And I remember hearing these words for the first time. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. I have to prove myself. Like, no, no, no. If you ask for Jesus to forgive you, you know, he's faithful and just to remove all your unrighteousness. Nope, nope, nope. I don't care what that Bible says. I don't care what you're saying. I have to earn it. And lo and behold, another person's telling me about this grace stuff, and I just won't accept it. I have to earn it. And I remember sitting home one night listening to Jason Upton, listening to some music that I'd never listened to. And he goes into this rant. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just let the pain go. Just let it go. You've suffered too long. Let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. And it's a long song. And he says let it go probably a thousand times. And I have this great idea. Like, why don't I just let the pain go? Like, whoa. Revelation. Light bulb. And I remember sitting up on the couch and saying, God, I'm letting go of my pain. And all of a sudden, it was like this moment took place that I finally would receive his grace. Because I can't. There is nothing I can do for the payment of my own sin. That it's technically already been paid for. I just have to receive that Jesus paid the wages for my sin. Because he died for them. That my identity is in him. My identity is covered in his blood. So now the Father looks at me the same way he would look at Jesus. With absolute love. And now I have communion with the Father in heaven. And I've never had intimacy with anyone the way that I can have intimacy with the Father through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to tell me stuff that I don't even think I really need to know. But all of a sudden it's like when I start listening to that little voice that I think I'm crazy when I first start hearing it. And he starts telling me to do stuff I don't want to do and telling me to stop doing stuff that I sh shouldn't be doing but I really like. And I start this whole new taking steps of obedience thing. All of a sudden, my identity grows in Christ. I'm like, wait a minute, this Jesus stuff's getting pretty cool. And then life happens and a trial comes and it's like, wait a minute, this Jesus stuff was doing really good. But then all of a sudden, why is this happening? Because life is still going to happen. 
you know, sin is still prevalent in this world and in me. And we all still make mistakes. But yet, His mercy is new every morning. His grace is sufficient. I just come back before Jesus and say, forgive me, because I, I still miss it. That my identity is not in the fact that I screwed up. My, my identity is not in the fact that I am worthless. My identity is not in the fact that I am this broken, wretched sinner. My identity is in the fact that I am a loved, beloved son of God. And we are sons and daughters of God. And that when we begin to clothe ourselves with that, and that we put on his peace, and we put on his love, and we put on his joy, that we no longer are taking showers and putting on our dirty clothes. You know, how many times have we been running and gunning, and we haven't showered for days? And yet we're completely content in the filthiness of our sin. Now, when we sin, we can't ever get comfortable. Because his love is on the inside of us, letting us know that you are very valuable to me. I was willing to go to the extreme length to set you free. So when we try to, to dabble in the old ways of living, we get this conviction, this guilt. And if we're not careful, it's it, very similar to condemnation. I feel like I'm no good all over again. But the truth of the matter is, if I come before Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, it's gone. Because our identity is growing in Jesus. Our identity is growing in righteousness. And that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we're learning how to walk that out in a way that isn't religious. Because the second we find our identity in religion, all of a sudden all this judgment and rules and criticism begins to come heaping down on our head. And then it feels like this performance-based actions that I can't ever achieve enough. So it's the no different than the run in the race of sin when I try to run the race of religion. Because I'm never good enough. I'm never able to get Jesus' approval. Because I have to work harder and I gotta read more and I gotta pray more and I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta when really all I have to do is just be loved and allow Jesus to be my identity. But our brain runs too much. And that we talk ourselves out of grace. Because we still aren't able to really process how easy it is to be free of sin. If we would just surrender and stop trying to control. And the greatest thing ever is that Jesus knows every single one of us better than we know ourselves. And he takes us through all these little life lessons that we think suck to get us to this place where we realize that I can't do this. I have to surrender. I have to let Jesus in. I have to do it his way. I have to stop doing it my way. And then all of a sudden, things begin to fall into place. 
is it really that easy, Jesus? He's like, yeah, I've been telling you that for um, a while now. I knitted you from within the womb with a purpose and a plan. That I have put your gifts in you. I have put your personality in you. That I have a, a destiny for you. That if you'd surrender to my will, that you would find the very reason I've created you. And that you'd come alive in such a way that you didn't even know existed. Because you're finally doing my will for your life. And that's the very reason I created you. And all of a sudden, everything begins to make sense. Because you're on this side of the cross. And all the times in our life, that we said, why did this happen to me? Why did I go through this? Why couldn't it be this way? Why did this person have to leave me? Why did this person not like me? Why couldn't I have this type of money? Why? 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 Jesus begins to say, I am all these reasons. And if you give me all your doubts and give me all your questions and give me all your pain and give me all your sin and allow me to strip you of all those things and put myself inside of you in such a way that you begin to be healed and whole, you look back over your life and you see how everything has been leading you to this moment of surrendering to Jesus. I remember the very first time that I read in, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, and Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, but what the Holy Spirit did to me is just blow my mind in the sense that Paul says, I've sent you this painful thing, and I'm not sorry. Because it made you turn from your sinful ways to your salvation. And if Jesus flow, you know, flies me back in time in the sense, and it's like flashback, of all the times that I had this opportunity to, to surrender or do it the right way, and I chose to do it the wrong way, and more pain, and more pain, and, and somebody would talk to me about Jesus, and I would freak out on him, and more pain, and more pain, and you know, I couldn't listen, and I gotta do it my way, and get arrested, and I gotta do it my way, and back into this pain, and you know, I won't listen, and back in, and all of a sudden I, I, I realized that because I wouldn't surrender, and because Jesus loved me so much that He allowed me to have all these other pains in my life because I had to come to the conclusion that I couldn't do it my way. That my identity couldn't stay in a very broken place because He had better plans for me by giving me His identity so that I could be free in Christ. Now life is life and we're going to have trials. And we learn to overcome by living by His principles and His Word. <coughs> you know, what I've come to learn is following the pattern of Jesus. That every time that I go through something, whether it's of my own making or the enemy's trying to, to trap me in something, what does the Bible say? Because Jesus says it is written, and when I proclaim the Bible over these areas of my life, He begins to, to weave me in and out of all these trials. It doesn't mean I don't go through things, and it doesn't mean you're not going to go through things, but if we handle them the way Jesus is asking us to handle them, and we, we believe that our identity is in Him and not in the things that we're, you know, so often we're trying to reach for, that we flow through the trials almost 
with this grace and favor that we never could have apart from Jesus because we hit every low bridge, we ran into every closed door, everything was a wall, and we just forced our way through around and run away if we got up. And we wonder why we've never been able to create anything that's sustainable. It's because Jesus is like, I got something so much better for you if you stop trying to build your own kingdom and surrender in mine. And when we transfer our identity from I am who I am to I belong to the I am, great things begin to shift in our lives. Now granted, we'll always have this this temptation to think that we can still run the show. And I have these moments where I'm like, I want it to happen my way. And the Holy Spirit always kicks in, like, how well does that work for you? Like, it doesn't, but it doesn't mean I don't want to do it my way. Come on, Jesus, just once? He's like, really, no. What happened the last time you got your way? Nothing good. And when we surrender to his way, even though sometimes we think that he's a slowpoke, his timing is perfect. It always falls right into place. And that we become to realize that this awesome God that created everything loves us and is working on our behalf, even when we don't realize it. You know, I've come to, to believe that many of us have said our little sinner's prayer at some point. And that's like the starting gun of a marathon. And the race begins. And we'll be running this race for the rest of our natural lives. But I also believe in the statement that if Jesus is not the Lord of all, He's not really the Lord at all. And what that means to me is that I still have stuff that I have hidden inside of me and buried deep. And it's been very detrimental because it's like this spiritual cancer on the inside of me that's been eating me away. And even though I can believe in Jesus and even though I would say that I'm a Christian, even though I'm going to church and even though I'm trying to do the right thing, there's still sometimes that there's areas of my identity that's still in some very dark, dark places. So even though Jesus says he loves me, there's still this voice in my head that says, eh, I don't know if I really am. He might love you, but I'm different. And we have to begin to allow Jesus to come into these places so that our identity can uproot these and transfer over to completely in him. And some of these things will get uprooted quickly and some of these things we have to work on because they've been rooted for a very, very long time. But we have to stop acting like they're not there. Jeremiah 6.14 says you can't heal a wound that you say isn't there. You know, and it doesn't mean that you go around telling everybody everything you've been through because that's not healthy. But first and foremost, you need to start talking to Jesus about what's going on inside of you. Because he already knows. There's not one thing that you've been through that he doesn't already know. And he's been waiting a long, long time for you to give him those things. And a lot of times we just didn't really know how. 
We didn't know how to surrender these things, and we've been hanging on to them and suppressing them with drugs, alcohol, sex, food, gambling, you name it. We've been using it to make the pain go away, and it just doesn't work. The only way the pain can go away is if we hand it to Jesus. You know, it talks about the sin, or the sting of sin has been removed. You know, and just like if we got stung by a bee, you know, and it leaves its stinger behind, the venom is still you know, seeping into our skin and, and causing an infection and causing more. And if we don't get that stinger out, it can get worse and worse and worse. And some of us still have these stingers that have been stuck into us that the enemy placed there many, many, many years ago. And it's time for us to get these stingers out of us and let stop the venom that's been pumping into our system. And I'm unlovable, and I can't trust anybody, and I'm always going to be worthless, and no one's ever going to love me, and I'm never going to succeed. And the list goes on and on of the stuff that we say about ourselves. You know, I learned a long time ago that if if we were somehow able to broadcast the things that we say about ourselves out loud and record it, and then played it back to ourselves in any given day, we'd fight the person that's speaking such horrible things about ourselves. And yet we do it to ourselves. And we have to begin to take our identity a little by little and turn it over to Jesus and using his word that says, you know, I love you. You are worthy. You are my beloved. You know, and starting to say it is written that the lies and the deception that flow through my mind are not true. It's a tactic the enemy has been using to keep my identity stuck in condemnation and brokenness and sin. <clears throat> and to, to fully transfer my identity over to Christ, I have to allow the Bible to renew my mind. You know, and the more I spend time in the Word and the more I proclaim the Word and the more I arrest thoughts and bring them back to the obedience of Jesus, my identity comes out of this very broken place. And I become to be a very healed and healthy individual in Christ. Just bow your heads with me. Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing in everybody's life in this room. Lord, that you are moving more than we could ever know. Lord, help us to surrender again. Whether we've surrendered a thousand times or we've surrendered for the first time. Lord, there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need you. Lord, I ask that you would come and heal our hearts and renew our minds. Lord, I pray that you would uproot areas of insecurity and bitterness. I break off areas of depression and anxiety right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I ask that you would come and truly heal us. Lord, I ask that your power and your presence would begin to move in our lives, Lord, that each and every one of us as we go back into our lives, Lord, that we'd realize that you're far closer than we ever imagined. Lord, help us to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to feel your presence, Lord. Because in a moment in your presence, Lord, a moment in your presence, there is so much healing that takes place because of your love. So, Lord, I I just thank you so much for everyone that's here, Lord. I pray that you would be with anyone that wasn't able to make it tonight, Lord. And if anyone is backtrapped in sin, Lord, I pray that you reach out to them, Lord, and draw them once again through your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Many, many, many.